0: Can speech patterns detect the presence of post-traumatic stress disorder in the speaker? That's the theory behind a study recently presented at an international conference. One of the study's directors was Dr. Charles Marmar, chairman of the Psychiatry Department of New York University. Earlier, I discussed his breakthrough research with him, starting with his federal background.
1: Prior to becoming chair here at MIU, I was the associate chief of staff for mental health at the San Francisco VA Hospital. In a study that was recently presented
0: that you were part of, the theory, I guess, was that traumatic stress disorder can be detect—post-traumatic stress disorder can be detected in a person's speech pattern. Is that is that a good characterization of what you were trying to discover? That is That
1: is correct. And by speech, the use of the word speech pattern is is well taken. We're not looking at the content of speech, not the lexical or word content of speech. We're looking at the biophysical properties of speech, which is technically a combination of uh, sine and cosine waves, which characterize the frequency of uh, speech production. And what are some of the markers that you thought might be in speech
0: sine waves that would indicate possible PTSD? Well, that's a very
1: complicated question. Uh, We thought uh, one of two possible kinds of features might be important. Features reflecting either high levels of anxious arousal, which occur in post-traumatic stress, or features of numbness and restriction of Uh, emotion, which also occur as part of uh, psychic numbing in PTSD. And when we started, we were open to both those possibilities. And what we did was a very broad interrogation of the features of speech. Uh, we worked collaborated with a group at uh in Menlo Park uh the Stanford Research Institute, which is a non profit corporation uh, whose voice engineers were critical in developing Siri for apple so These are some of the leading voice engineers in the world and uh with their help, we developed a pipeline which actually partitioned the speech of our veterans, some of whom uh, had P- war zone PTSD, and some of whom have been deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan and never developed PTSD. They pr- we sent them speech samples, and they partitioned them into over 40,000 unique features of speech, and then we used uh, machine learning AI programs to identify a subset characteristic of PTSD. So,
0: the machine learning to prevent some sort of bias from coming into the training of it, you really had to select your sample very carefully of of speech
1: Yes, well, we had to cl- cl- two samples have to be very precise. The clinical samples have to be very precise. We did uh, four three to four hour assess clinical assessments of our Iraq and Afghanistan veterans to determine that they had or did not have PTSD, and uh, we excluded those who had uh, depression or or current significant alcohol use. So we have a very uh, precisely recruited sample of OEF-OIF veterans uh, with war zone deployment-related PTSD and a group who had been... Currently, that is, and uh, current PTSD, and a group that have been deployed one or more times to the war zones in Iraq and Afghanistan, but never developed PTSD or related psychiatric disorders. So there's high level of precision done in clinical assessment and then a high level of precision in extracting voice segments from the clinical diagnostic interviews for export to SRI for for their pipeline. Of uh, To be precise about it, uh, we looked at uh, 40,000, uh, actually a little more than 40,000 features of human speech.
0: And just one more question on the data gathering. Were the samples obtained by interviews? Did you have the people read Shakespeare? I mean, how did you get the voice samples themselves?
1: Yes, excellent question. All of the participants... All of the PTSD cases and all of the healthy, resilient uh, warfighter control veteran cases were assessed at NYU Langone Medical Center in my PTSD research program here. Uh, they were recorded with high-fidelity audio recording equipment necessary to discriminate very fine-grained nuances of speech quality and uh, we we on average collected about 35 minutes of speech from both groups and they included moments of talking about a relatively neutral topic and moments of talking about their worst war zone experiences.
0: We're speaking with Dr. Charles Marmar. He's chairman of the psychiatry department of New York University and what were your chief findings is there in fact markers of among these forty thousand speech features that can positively identify PTSD? Well using advanced machine learning
1: principles uh, the technique we use is called random forest. We tried others, but that was the best classifier. We were in our discovery sample able to uh, identify eighteen unique features of speak of speech and then validate those in a set of cases from the same Uh, cases and controls that were set aside uh, to test those uh, features to make sure that they were predictive of uh, cases and controls and doing that we were able to achieve an overall correct classification accuracy rate of 89.1% that is the 18 final Speech features with the greatest discriminatory ability were able to correctly classify over 89% of the cases and controls.
0: That sounds like a result that might have surprised even the research team.
1: Yes, even to achieve 75 to 80% accuracy would have been very encouraging for a first study, and uh, close to 90% is really quite remarkable. We're very excited about it. But for your listeners, it is important to say this is a first study. It, it has certain limitations that we need to address in our next studies. The major limitations are that these were all male veterans, so we have not yet studied. The uh, uh, speech characteristics of female OEF/OIF veterans. That's a very high priority. And As you can imagine, there may be some differences in male and female voice quality uh, among healthy controls and those with PTSD. So that's the first thing. The second thing is these findings need to be replicated on a completely independent sample of uh, male veterans with and without PTSD, extended to female veterans, and we would like to extend this uh, to civilians with PTSD related to a physical assaults, sexual assaults, motor vehicle accidents, terrorism survivors, and disaster survivors, for example. And these
0: 18 patterns that seem to have a high correlation with PTSD, is it something that you can hear with the naked ear, so to speak, or does it have to be Subject to the uh, algorithms, the samples.
1: Yes, you you can't detect it detected with a naked ear ear even if you have perfect pitch and you're a trained uh, violinist. So uh, it's not possible to detect it directly. However, when we look, when we carefully examined the characteristics. Uh, that these features relate to, uh, they relate to flattened atonal speech with uh, with less variability in pitch, prosody, and rhythm. So I think that it, clinically, or even as a layperson, uh, you could detect correlates of the features we found in speech, which reflects numbness and flatness. And
0: what would be the future then if you are able to verify these claims? Could this be used in clinical settings to positively, or the hope is it could be used to positively get people into treatment?
1: So, so the first thing to say is the probability of being a PTSD case was higher for those whose voice markers indicated slower more monotonous more monotonous speech less change in tonality and less activation and energy of speech now assuming that replicates in a new sample of male veterans and extends to female veterans and civilians we will have a very valuable low cost non-invasive tool that could be used for many purposes, as you suggest, for high-throughput screening. For example, uh, one of the challenges that we face as a nation, uh, and speaking with your veteran and military population uh, uh, listeners, this is the obvious: one percent of our nation uh, volunteers to defend our entire nation, and so we have uh, essentially our military is a high-frequency, rapid deployment military that uh, in which active duty military personnel uh... can be quickly moved to different hot spots around the world and do so repeatedly the question is uh, have they been given sufficient time to stand down and psychologically uh, reset to be prepared to be resilient at the time of a new deployment? Uh, the, the Army uh, and, and the other active duty branches are very aware of this, and they do some self-report screening and some clinical interviewing. But you can imagine there would be a huge advantage to be able to do rapid, high-efficiency, low-cost non-invasive speech markers to screen for who may or may not be ready for reset to be redeployed. And then if, if someone screens positive for probable PTSD on the voice markers, they could then be assessed in greater detail by clinicians. That's one application. Another application would be to see the effects of deployment, whether there's a quality in speech change before and after deployment. We're very interested in that. Uh, Other applications would be to help guide the most effective treatments. Voice markers may indicate that a given individual responds better to cognitive therapy than to medication or vice versa or maybe to other new developing treatments like neurostimulation treatments or novel medications that are being developed for PTSD like cannabidiol and many other new drugs that are being investigated for, for PTSD. And finally, uh, these these voice markers may be used as an indicator of how effective treatment is. To the extent that voice quality is normalized with the treatment, it would be supportive of a successful course of care. I did want to ask whether in the obtaining of samples, you mentioned
0: high-fidelity good recordings, do you feel this could be something yes. obtained over the telephone or over some less hi-fi type of system well, or do you really that need That is a
1: great question. That's a fascinating question. And just to take you back for a moment the very first thing you said to me is, please come off speakerphone and go onto a handset. So you, you, you're very aware, because you're in the audio broadcasting world, that voice quality varies as a function of the device, right? It sure does. So, so that, that's a real question. We don't know. But in extending our research, one thing we're very interested in, given, given that smartphones are ubiquitous, that they're everywhere in the world, if if we can find a set of voice markers that are sufficiently robust that they could be detected on a smartphone, we could screen for PTSD halfway around the world simply by using uh, an iPhone. So it's it, that's we're we're very interested to see how much we can degrade the fidelity of the signal and still pick up these differences.
0: Sure. And uh, you mentioned earlier that you had devoted your life to this topic of PTSD and finding it and helping it. What was your original motivation for that?
1: It was very interesting I started my career as a young academic psychiatrist Um, I had originally I'm originally Canadian I had trained in psychiatry at the University of Toronto and I was fortunate to be awarded a fellowship to work at the medical school in San Francisco the the University of California San Francisco it's known as UCSF I was afforded a fellowship to work there to do um, clinical trials research in in novel treatments and psychiatry, and the group that I joined at the time was focused on what was being called stress response syndromes, which was a precursor to PTSD before PTSD had an official name. Remember, it only became an official disorder of the American Psychiatric Association with the name PTSD in 1980, and I did my fellowship in uh in the late 70s and at the time we were studying interestingly aircraft air, airplane crash survivors uh a motor vehicle accident victims uh sexual assault survivors disaster survivors survivors of a sudden violent death in the family and uh we were developing new new approaches to tre- understanding diagnosing and treating those patients before there was even a PTSD diagnosis. And because I was involved very early on in the civilian trauma area, I was fortunate to be able to be recruited to the San Francisco VA where I, and continued my work at UCSF at the same time. But I was recruited to the San Francisco VA in 1989 to open one of the nation's first PTSD clinic, so I, I was able to get in at the very beginning, and uh, for example, have uh, been privileged to be able to study Vietnam veterans across the course of their entire lifetime. I, I and my colleagues uh, uh, at Research Triangle Institute published the only. L- lifetime study of a representative sample of every man and every woman who served in a war zone in the Vietnam generation and have published on the lifetime course of PTSD among Vietnam veterans as an example and have also been involved for 20 years in in understanding and uh, advancing treatment for PTSD and law enforcement and other first responders. So this has been uh, something very uh Uh, you know, deep to my own interests over now four decades.
0: Dr. Charles Marmar is chairman of the Psychiatry Department of New York University. We'll post this interview in its entirety, along with a link to the PTSD study at federalnewsnetwork.com slash federal drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips.